Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode titled From Bulls to Bear Market So Fast, What's Next and What Can Investors Do? I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. For this episode, I want to discuss the reasons for the stock market falling from bull to bear market so quickly, what is next, and what investors can do during these volatile times in the markets. The markets have continued their recent volatility and sell-off this week. As of Thursday, major markets around the world fell into bear market territory. A bear market is a condition in which stock market indexes fall 20% or more from recent highs amid widespread pessimism and negative investor sentiment. The current coronavirus-inspired sell-off has produced a 20%-plus fall from the previous all-time highs in just 20 days. That represents the quickest 20% decline since at least 1987, and with it, the end of the current bull market, the longest in American history. Markets were at all-time highs just a few weeks ago. The all-time closing high for the S&P 500 took place on February 19th of this year at a level of 3,386.15. Some markets are down as much as 30% through Thursday before a recovery on Friday. What would make a sell-off of this size happen in a short period of time? The answer is a black swan event known as coronavirus. A black swan event is an extremely rare event with severe consequences. The theory was developed by Nassim Tlaib, an SAS scholar, statistician, and former option trader and risk analyst. He wrote the book Black Swan in 2007. Black swan events cannot be predicted beforehand. Black swan events can cause catastrophic damage to an economy and markets. This current black swan event has started with the spread of the coronavirus in China, which has now become a global pandemic according to the World Health Organization. Pandemics have always been a potential black swan risk to the markets, but they're also infrequent and hard to model. This pandemic has caused major dislocations in the world economy, besides the more important aspect of human suffering and loss of human life. The U.S. is a consumption economy with about 70% based on consumptions of goods and services. Most of that consumption comes in terms of the service economy. The disruption in the service economy due to the pandemic will impact the U.S. economy as well as the global economy. Major economic organizations including the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, also known as the OECD, have all cut global growth for 2020 and many countries will unfortunately fall into a recession. On top of the global pandemic of the coronavirus, Saudi Arabia and Russia have decided to play a game of chicken when it comes to oil prices. According to The Economist, it started when Russia refused to slash production during a meeting with the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries in Vienna on March 6. Saudi Arabia OPEC's de facto leader hit back with discounts to buyers and a promise to pump more crude. Shortly thereafter, it said it would provide customers with 12.3 million barrels a day in April, about 25% more than it supplied last month, and a level it has never before attained. Russia said it could raise output too, adding up to 500 barrels today to its 11.2 million barrels a day. The price of Brent crude plunged by 24% to $34 a barrel on March 9th, its steepest one-day drop in nearly 30 years. This is coming during a time where demand for oil is much lower right now due to the spread of the coronavirus. No demand and more supply means much lower prices. Lower oil prices for consumers can put more money in their pockets due to lower gas prices. 
However, in a viral outbreak, savings on gasoline is unlikely to translate into more spending on other things, especially ones that involve crowds. On the other hand, given that the U.S. is the world's biggest oil producer, oil and gas extraction is an important contributor to GDP. When prices fall, so does employment, and with it, wages and spending. Russia is trying to hurt our shale industry by increasing its production based on the break-even price needed for shale producers to make a profit. According to the Dallas Federal Reserve, break-even prices in America's shales basins range from $23 to $75 a barrel. Nobody will win from oil prices being this low. For Russia, the ruble floats. When oil prices fall, the currency does too, lowering production costs. On March 10th, Russia's finance ministry said that the country has enough foreign currency reserves to withstand a decade of prices hovering between $25 and $30. Drawing down their reserves could put their economy at more risk in the future. In terms of Saudi Arabia, Aramco has more than 50 years of reserves and costs per barrel of less than $9, according to Reistad Energy, a data firm, compared with $15 for Russia. However, according to estimates from the International Monetary Fund, the kingdom's budget requires an oil price of more than $80. Hopefully this will be realized sooner than later, and oil will be back to trading on a more balanced supply and demand dynamic. Finally, this event in the energy market has started to impact the credit markets, especially for those companies in the energy sector. Due to the fact that a lot of these energy companies are highly levered with debt, many energy companies are dependent on riskier bonds. For them, lower oil prices translate into lower earnings. They may be forced to slash costs through layoffs, cut in investments, and cuts to dividends to find cash to make their debt payments. It's not just the energy sector that is at risk, but also highly leveraged issuers that are at the lowest investment grade that are at risk of potential downgrade to junk. In the last few weeks, we have seen Kraft Heinz debt, which was downgraded by credit rating agencies Fitch and S&P from triple B to junk. The triple B bond market is much larger than the junk bond market, so a large amount of downgrades due to a slowing economy or a recession would impact holders of triple B bonds that are downgraded. Investment-grade mutual funds would have to sell them because they are not investment-grade any longer. The junk bond market would be potentially flooded with more supply at a time when demand for junk bonds would be lower. Finally, equities of these issuers may have to cut dividends to keep current credit ratings. I have discussed these risks for a number of years, going back to work at my previous firm, as well as in recent posts on LinkedIn and on my podcast. For those interested in learning more about the risk, I would check out the following episodes of my podcast, The Risk in the Triple B Bond Market and Potential Aftershocks, and the update on the Triple B Bond Market. So what does all these risks mean for the economy? Services account for at least 50% of the GDP in over half of the world's countries and about 65% of the world's GDP. The service economy is going to be greatly impacted by the spread of the coronavirus. Countries such as Italy have quarantined the entire country. Countries are suspending travel from countries that are most impacted. Events around the world are being canceled. All these things can impact companies and individuals that are employed by these companies in terms of potential business closures and potential loss of jobs. In the U.S., where consumption represents about 70% of economic growth, this would lead to much slower growth as well as the potential of a recession moving higher. A number of global economies such as Italy, Germany, and Japan are at heightened risk of being in or close to a recession currently. 
Those three countries are some of the largest economies in the world. China's growth will be greatly impacted near term by the spread of the virus in China. The chance of a global recession is rising, with the potential recession hitting a number of the largest economies in the world. In my last episode of my podcast, I discussed the coronavirus and some of the indicators of possible recessions and the potential of this causing a bear market. For those interested in learning more about these topics, I would suggest checking out the podcast episode, Coronavirus Corrections, Recessions, Bear Markets. So I've gone through the equities markets moving into bear market this week. I've discussed the causes being the black swan event of the coronavirus, as well as the war for market share in oil and its potential impact on the credit markets, and how this could all impact the potential for a U.S. and global recession. So what is next? In terms of the coronavirus, we need to have more fiscal support from the government to help in fighting the pandemic. Policymakers can't prevent economic damage from the outbreak, but they can limit it and make a quick rebound more likely. One of the lessons learned from the last recession is that the government has to move quickly. The first thing we need to do is to fight the spread of the disease itself. The federal government must help the states to be able to combat the spread because the states are going to be at the front lines. The federal government should spend whatever it takes to address the outbreak. Interest rates are at historically low levels, which means the federal government can borrow at lower cost. The more that the federal government can do to put funds into small companies and individuals that are and will be impacted by the virus, the more likely the economy recovers quicker. This will help to keep companies afloat and hopefully keep them from having to lay off a large number of individuals during this period of time. If these layoffs happen, having funds in the hands of the impacted individuals will help them until we get through this pandemic and until they are able to go back to work or find another job. With the labor market being as tight as it currently is, most companies will be hesitant to lay off employees unless they really have to. Taking care of these companies and individuals impacted during this time will lead companies and individuals to spend once we get through it as demand picks up. The Federal Reserve is helping to stem the risk in the credit market by providing liquidity to the market. On Friday, the central bank said it would buy about $37 billion of treasuries that same day, following Thursday's announcement of a $1.5 trillion liquidity injection into the market. This is on top of its first emergency interest rate cuts since the financial crisis. According to the Fed Fund's futures as of this Friday afternoon, there was a 75.7% chance of the Federal Reserve cutting rates by 1%, or 100 basis points, to a range of 0 to a quarter percent. Looking forward, central banks will continue to use tools from their past playbook, including interest rate cuts where possible, forward guidance, and the continuing use of quantitative easing through bond purchases. Other tools that are possible could be negative interest rates by the Federal Reserve, which I believe they would like to avoid. There has been talk by the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, Eric Rosengrid, that Fed officials may need to buy assets other than government bonds to counter the next downturn. In order to do that, it would require a change in the Federal Reserve Act by Congress. Also, the Fed can end the runoff on mortgage paydowns from its balance sheets, reducing an unnecessary headwinds to mortgage rates and allowing homeowners to benefit from the all-time low-end rates being realized in the Treasury markets. While it is true that Treasury yields have reached all-time lows, the mortgage rate to homeowners remained well above the lows of 2016. Mortgage rates are not falling as quickly, likely in part because the Federal Reserve is selling. As the coronavirus spreads in the U.S., we will continue to see more negative news as more people are tested for the virus. The negative news will not feel good, but it will begin to be priced into the market. 
The good news is that we do have an idea on how the path of the virus proceeds over time by looking at what is happening in China, Italy, and South Korea. The hope is that we can do enough with fiscal policy to ramp up testing so we can quarantine those that are impacted immediately and keep them from spreading the virus to others. We need to make sure that our healthcare system is prepared for those contracting the virus and protect those in the healthcare system providing the necessary care. We have seen what can happen when the healthcare system is overrun by the virus in China and Italy, which makes the situation much worse. I hope that we look much more like South Korea than China and Italy as we progress through the timeline of the spread of the coronavirus in the United States. The probability of a recession in the U.S. and globally is increasing. A potential slowdown in the service part of the economy globally will have a large impact on economic growth. Recessions tend to be a characteristic of a bear market, and with us being in a bear market, it leads me to believe that at a minimum, major economies in the world will be in a recession. Whether it becomes a global recession, including the U.S., still remains to be seen. So if we are in a bear market, and because of that a possible recession, what are investors to do? During these volatile times, I believe that my greatest value as an advisor is to act as a behavioral coach, effectively preventing missteps caused by emotional decision-making. So here are some rules to assist us through these volatile times in the markets that can keep us invested in our emotional decision-making at bay. The most important thing is to revisit your financial plan. Make sure that the plan is appropriate based on your goals and needs and make adjustments if necessary based on changes in your personal situation that may impact those goals and needs. The next rule to know is the importance of time in the market versus timing the market. I think this quote from Benjamin Graham, a British-born American investor, economist, and professor, sums that point up well. He said, in the financial markets, hindsight is forever 2020, but foresight is legally blind. And thus, for most investors, market timing is practical and an emotional impossibility. Market returns are consistent over time, and studies have shown that even if you were investing money on the worst day in the market every year over time, you would still be in a better position if you had not invested at all. Best days in the market tend to occur around the worst days. According to J.P. Morgan, for the 20-year period of 1999 through 2018, six of the S&P's 10 best-performing days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days. Investors need to stick to their plans, stay invested, and keep their emotions out of the decision-making. Next, this type of volatility doesn't last forever. There have been many times throughout history where markets have pulled back, but these relatively short periods are most often followed by the most favorable returns. We don't have to look that far back. At the end of 2018, the markets have fallen by about 20% in the U.S., only to see returns pick up dramatically in 2019. Unfortunately, due to loss aversion, one of the principles of behavioral economics, it is thought that the pain of losing is psychologically about twice as powerful as the pleasure of gaining. This means that despite having just experienced the longest bull run in history, a few bad days in the markets can cause investors to rethink their long-term investment strategy. According to S&P and Bank of America Global Research, investors who held onto their stocks and waited for the markets to rebound had significantly higher total returns than investors who missed the S&P 500's 10 best days per decade since 1930. Again, stay invested, stick to your plan, and make objective decisions on it, not emotional ones. One of the benefits of this volatility is being able to find opportunities to invest in to assist your portfolio in recovering quicker from these downturns when the markets rebound. As markets have pulled back, portfolios become underweight to equities. 
so the portfolio is objectively saying that equities need to be added. In a very quick amount of time, we have gone from a period where markets were more expensive, especially in the United States, to one where markets are now on sale. Valuation metrics including the forward PE, cyclically adjusted PE known as CAPE, price to book value, and price to cash flow are all below their 25-year average. Yes, there is one caveat, as we are uncertain about the E, otherwise known as earning in the P-E ratio, due to the impact of the coronavirus, oil war, etc. However, these other valuation metrics do show the markets are cheaper than they were three to four weeks ago at some level. Due to our emotions, the stock market is the only market in the world where investors like to buy when stocks are more expensive than when they are on sale. As the markets are cheaper and the portfolios are underweight to equities, we need to add to the equities to help our portfolios recover. The key is taking small steps to get the portfolio allocation back to their targets and equities, adding to equities a little bit over time. Finally, continue to have a well-diversified portfolio that is regularly rebalanced because this can help to potentially enhance return over time, but more importantly, manage volatility and help to limit some of the downside risk of portfolios in these volatile markets. Investors need to stick to their plans, stay invested, and keep their emotions out of their decision-making. It's all about the investors controlling the controllables. We can't control the market. We can't control the coronavirus. We can't control our own behaviors and doing everything possible to protect ourselves and loved ones from the coronavirus. By doing these things, I am confident we will make it through these macro events as we have in past macro events. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, free to feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do, as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.